Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week, we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. Episode 105, Emergency Call, Fiji, where William was interrupted by orchids. Can you describe what we're doing right now? <laughs> yeah, right now we are walking into what seems like a cave, but I believe is a tunnel. Which seems like either a huge bit of rock is split from the rock face, or it's a huge piece of rock has fallen onto the rock face. Now we're emerging back into the sunlight. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, William... Can you describe what you look like for the audience? <laughs> um, about six feet tall, got darkish brown hair, uh, vaguely green eyes. <laughs> vaguely? <laughs> not green enough anyone would notice, but not any other color. Um, I don't know, big nose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's a clear picture. Yeah. <laughs> Can you describe where we are right now? Right now we are on the side of a mountain in Peru, uh, looking over a pretty incredible Incan ruin, uh, having just started hiking up from our campsite this morning. And uh, let's let's go stand over here and look at it and have you describe. What do you see? So we're in almost like a. So I guess the end of a valley, a series of ridges jutting out from the sides. And one of these slightly smaller ridges that juts out on the top is, from here it almost looks like a sort of medieval European castle. It does. Uh, we could be in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it looks like it has a, a sort of perimeter wall and a whole series of buildings in different layers. Having been there yesterday, I know there's three layers. That's not quite so clear from here. Uh, it was incredible just earlier on, about half an hour ago, most of the valley was in, in shadow still. The sun was just coming up. But as the light, as the sun crept over the top of the mountains, it hit that that settlement. Uh, so that just the just the buildings were sort of glowing in a sort of sea of shadow, which was pretty incredible. And... I think people can guess, yeah. but can you say where we're headed? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're at the moment, we're day three of a four-day hike to Machu Picchu. It's uh, just going to be pretty incredible, I think. <laughs> and what do you expect it will be like? And uh, I'm going to check in with you again once we're there. Yeah, also. okay, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be... Uh, it's one of those places that you've seen pictures of, but... Often all the pictures are the same picture, mm. even if lots of different people have taken them. Mm. You'll tend to take it the same shot. So you have an idea of the overall shape of the place, but I think I've got no idea of the detail. And uh, that's partly what I'm really looking forward to. Mm. And also just seeing like a city that's just in amongst the mountains like that. It's going to be pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And why are you going... Machu Picchu. Why are you here? <laughs> Why am I here? <laughs> Why are any of us here? Um, <laughs> it's one of those places that I've always wanted to go ever since sort of first seeing pictures of it. Yeah, I can't believe that exists and that 
it's that it remained undiscovered for so long. Um, I, I don't know if I've got a specific reason that I've come here. Oh, and I want to try and get almost everywhere, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of many places uh, on the list. Uh, I guess the, the really honest answer is that I'm here because my mate was asked if I wanted to go to Peru, and I was like, yeah, I do want to go to Peru. Well, actually, he asked, do you still want to go to Peru? And I couldn't remember when we'd first talked about it, but I was like, yeah, 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 I do still want to go to Peru. Uh, so, uh, by the way, uh, I'm not sure what order these episodes will come out oh, yeah, in, yeah. but cool. Joe is your mate, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I'll probably space you guys out, but if anyone's listening. Yeah. Uh, so you said you want to get everywhere. Where do you think that drive comes from? Like, what is that? I don't know, I guess it's curiosity about the world, and when you first maybe go somewhere new and have a good experience, then you want to repeat that. And I think when you, especially when you start meeting different people, or um, when you go somewhere and you're like, oh, they do whatever differently to how we do it at home. Yeah. Uh, and, and you realize that there isn't just one world culture, even if like some people think you're heading that way. Uh-huh. Uh, but there are still big differences between countries. Well, the attitudes they have. And, two questions then. Can yeah. you say where home is? And can you <laughs> point to an example of something that surprised you? Uh, yeah, so home is, well, I'm from Scotland, from Edinburgh. I guess home these days is London. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. One example, uh, I lived in New Zealand for a year, and especially about amongst the uh, Māori community and people that have come from Pacific Islands, uh, food is a really big deal. And uh, sharing food um, is a sort of unthought of... Uh, as in people do it without thinking that uh, if you turned up to work and you'd forgotten your lunch no one would think anything of sharing theirs with you uh, or everyone would just share all of their lunches or someone might just one day bring in enough food for everyone because they had a big dinner the night before and they had leftovers or uh, whereas I think in the UK food is almost a more personal thing or mm. it belongs to you <laughs> so if you bring food to work that's your lunch that's not anyone else's lunch um, I remember one of my colleagues and he's even telling me this story about this crazy mate of his growing up that when him and all his friends could be like six of them eight of them were around at this friend's house after school say the, the mum would come out at some point and say you know it's dinner time and she would expect them to leave and she wouldn't have had food for all of them huh. ready uh, and I had to say like, oh. and he was telling me those stories. It's like, can you believe what this this family was like? And I was saying, that's that's how it would be in the UK. Like, you would never be expected that if all of your mates were around, that your parents would just feed them. Like, you would just be sent home to your own families to have dinner. Um, but over there, like, people would, I guess, the idea of sort of looking after each other was more of a thing. Yeah. So on a similar note. Uh, in Mongolia uh, they have a sort of similar thing 
which I think comes from, uh, well, for centuries when people have lived really spread out uh, in quite small, either small communities or just kind of on their own, uh, you know, one or two families. Um, when people were traveling, they would uh, probably die if people didn't give them food and water when they found people mm. on the way. Yeah. But even now, if you just turn up to someone's house, which would just be a tent somewhere, without this, it's not rude. It's not. Uh, you'll just people just will expect to get given food and drink, and people will give you food and drink without thinking anything of it. And no one says please. No one says thank you. Which it was quite strange to get used to. But the first couple of times it happened, uh, me and the person I was with would be like, "Thank you," and you know, being really enthusiastic in our thanks because it was it felt like a big deal for complete strangers to take you in and give you food and drink. Yeah, and they just thought we were weirdos. <laughs> they just couldn't. Didn't, they didn't know what we were thanking them for because it wasn't it wasn't a thing. Yeah. Like it wasn't it didn't occur to them that anyone wouldn't do that. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Have you noticed yourself sharing food more? Like did you spend enough time in those cultures to have it rub off on you? Yeah, a little well a little bit. And you know what I I tried one day at work. And made like spent the day before like making loads of food. <laughs> Took it in. I don't want any of it. <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty devastating. Um well, well, that's like one awesome. guy tried like one. I'd made like these pies. These like, are they chicken wow. pies? I don't know. Like it, it was, it was effort. I'd never made pies before. Wow. I knew everyone loves pies. Yeah. Uh, well, that that's great. That and like one guy so had one. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> that you you like went to that <laughs> that effort. Yeah. Man. Okay, I have to ask. Maybe this is off the mark, but yeah. were you in New Zealand for a film? No. Okay. Uh, uh, never mind. So I, yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> that was it's, before your time. That's before I got into film. I had been doing prop making, but I hadn't yet worked on a movie. Uh, no, me and my then girlfriend had. Uh, it was it was one of these trips that sort of expanded out of. It's like, hey, we should go on holiday to Australia, and then a few months later, it was. We should travel for like six months and then live in New Zealand <laughs> and maybe go to Australia at the end. Um, so, yeah, I was, I mean, I was working out there, but it was just, uh, I was doing property work. Okay. Because there was loads of work after the big earthquakes. Oh, yeah. Uh, they brought in new standards, so basically every public building in New Zealand needed work done on it. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on New Zealand? Ah, oh, it's a great place. <laughs> it's beautiful. There's still so much sort of wilderness to it, so much sort of wild space. Mm -hmm. um, the people are, for the most part, great, really friendly, uh, really welcoming. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a beautiful country. I think it's funny at times, there's bits of it that are uh, maybe seem a little bit behind the times. Ah, interesting. But that's also quite nice. So I, I do want to talk about your work just yeah. a little bit, as much no as worries. you're comfortable yeah, yeah, no sharing. Uh, Joe shared a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm interested both in how the movies you've worked on have impacted your travel 
and vice versa. Yeah. Like, if you come to a place like this, like the Inca Trail, it must somehow like bleed into your, your craft. <laughs> I know you're not as much on the imaginative side. Yeah. But so first, can you just talk about what you do and then yeah. how this impacts us? I'm a, a prop maker, so I make, well, anything really that's needed for a movie. Uh, I started out doing prop making, but more for advertising, promotional things, which led to some cool projects. I made like a nine meter tall chocolate fountain once. Whoa. And, a, and I'm an amphibious ice cream van that could drive along the road and then drive it at the river. And <laughs> this is for an ad? This was... They were both kind of promotional stunts. Okay. More than actual ads. Oh, that's cool. Um, uh, so, movies and traveling. Uh, it's funny, I, even before I worked in film, when I was traveling, even if it was just on a journey through Scotland, or I'd see a place and think, oh, that'd be a great set for a movie scene. <laughs> uh, like quarries or like a... I remember there was an old, like, I think it was a cement factory or something near my grandparents that I always thought could be in a Bond movie. <laughs> I don't know how much traveling feeds into uh, what I do now, other than uh, being, being a, a sort of secondary goal to, to work goals, you know, having a, a, a place I want to get to or somewhere I want to see that maybe keeps you going when you're having a, a less fun time at work. Yeah. Well, at least in three months this will be over and I can go. <laughs> I'll have earned the money to go traveling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think if I was in a different section of the film industry, it'd probably play into it more. I've often wondered about uh, sort of changing my title to prop maker slash freelance location scout <laughs> and then I can make all my trips tax deductible. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> well I, I'm curious specifically how like working on Star Wars has maybe changed your view of the world <laughs> because it's, it's a, such exotic yeah. locales and not that you travel to those places but yeah. you know you try to you're always trying to capture a spirit uh, does yeah. that shape your... Well, I or does like, it, like, fire your desire to go places? Uh, I think Star Wars is a good one because uh, everyone's almost everyone's heard of it. <laughs> so it's quite nice when the inevitable sort of what-do-you-do chat comes up. Yeah. And it used to be a lot harder when it was... When I didn't... When I wasn't working in film, uh, it would take a lot longer to explain what my job was. <laughs> but now at least I can just say... Like prop making. Oh, what's that? Well, I work on Star Wars. Oh, cool. And then you can just move on from there. <laughs> and uh, how often do you get people like me who just <laughs> ask endless questions for four days? Actually, less than you think. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, people don't really care about Star Wars, which is nice as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But okay, I don't feel as bad then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. I don't. I don't mind at all talking about it. Um, uh, a, a few weeks ago, or maybe a week and a half ago, uh, uh, Joe and I met uh, a couple of Germans and uh, when we went rafting, and then we arranged to meet up with them for dinner. At dinner we were talking, asking what we knew that one of them was 
studying medicine. Let me ask what the other one did. She said, oh, I actually work in the film industry. Uh, and was she was just, I think she'd just finished studying, but she'd done a couple of movies. She's like a producer. And me and Joe just put the, looked at each other and smiled like, ah, we've met someone else that works in the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to blow our mind. <laughs> and yeah, she couldn't believe it because she's never like... Yeah. She, well, we've had the same experience. You, you never really, you never meet other people that work in the film industry. Yeah. Like there's, there's lots of us, but not compared to all the people that don't work in the film industry. Well, yeah. Uh, but I'm just so glad to meet you guys because, you know, your work we all take for granted. Yeah. It makes such a big impact on our lives, but, and I get a chance to beam gratitude <laughs> yeah. at you, you know? Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to. Yeah. You're, you're good at yeah. deflecting it modestly, yeah. but, uh, you know. It's uh, a special thing to. It's yeah. It's amazing how many, how many jobs, especially in the film industry, but in general as well, you just have no idea exists until you meet someone who does it. Um, that that the, I mean, the film industry is full of jobs. You think, oh, I can't believe someone. Of course, someone has to do that. But you, you just you just see the uh, the end result. Yeah. And you never question it. So, um, we were interrupted by the cave. Yeah. <laughs> any, just anything else you want to add about, uh, well, I'll, I'll, about working on Star Wars? Well, or? maybe slightly talk about what you just, what we were just talking about with it. Sure. That you were asking if, uh, if working on Star Wars sort of, or working in movies in general affects how you look at kind of old ruins and that kind of thing. And I think, maybe not so much, uh, to do with it being a film, but being someone who makes things, uh, often you can appreciate the skill that's gone into something, um, even when if it is ruined or whatever else. Uh, it's really interesting seeing the different levels of uh, look at the different levels of the wall building that we see, mm-hmm. like the best ink masonry is incredible <laughs> uh, how so I, I've read that and it, uh, it just goes over my head I don't yeah. know how well, to you see it. you see the walls the places that we've seen so far uh, the walls are made from different shapes and sizes of stone put together with what seems like a kind of earth mix in between as a sort of mortar uh, or cement but the, the the really good stuff is uh is made without any cement, and the blocks are all different shapes and sizes, but they're all carved so they fit perfectly together, like jigsaw pieces, with most of the time less than a millimeter of gap at any point between any two stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the different layers of rocks are never sort of in straight lines; they're always moving up and down, uh, so they all interlock around each other. They don't carve rocks the way we would in Europe in the past, making everything into big cuboids mm-hmm. with everything nice and square, which makes it easy to fit things next to each other. They use, but that makes it less secure, right? Well, with the yeah, with the square blocks, it means we had we, well in Europe it was good mortar, mm-hmm. and so you'd you glued your blocks together. Mm-hmm. Which here the sort of interlocked the shapes but they also carved within the wall 
into the blocks. Uh, little channels that they could pour molten metal into that almost acted like keys that locked the blocks together. Mm -hmm. uh, my understanding is that for the most part, the blocks just sit together so well that they've survived. And it's only really in the corners or maybe around doorways and things that they use these interlocking keys. Mm -hmm. Other times they'll carve like a, a little bit of a hole into one rock and the next rock will have a little bit that sticks out that clips into it. So they're actually clipped together. But it's just the sheer accuracy of the, 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 the carving, I guess, uh, is, is mind-blowing. Especially when there was no power tools, hardly any use of like steel or metal or that kind of thing. Um, but the, and, and yeah, to make a wall with no mortar that's been standing for well, five, six hundred years or more is incredible. And one of our guides said they designed it with earthquakes in mind because they happen so frequently and that when an earthquake happens, the stones dance. Yeah. They don't oh. fall down. <laughs> I, I know the dancing thing, but I can believe it. that they, Because there's no mortar, they're free to move independently. But the, I guess the shapes then mean that when they stop moving, they settle back into their sort of preordained places. Um, there's a few places where I've seen where gaps have started to open up, but the sort of has a proportion of all the other blocks. It's incredible how much has survived intact. It's really a moving experience to stand in front of the wall and just look at the irregular pattern. Like yeah, and I just recently learned the name of that pattern, which is ashlar. Okay. I think it can be applied to uniform stone blocks too, but just okay. stone blocks, you know, yeah. in a pattern like that, which I just love that there's yeah. a specific name for yeah. that. Uh, but it just, yeah, it's interesting because it's so organic. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I don't know how, I still can't work out like a good explanation for how they would have planned their walls. Yeah, yeah. Because they, often you see the block below looks like it's been carved to fit the blocks above. But you can't build a wall from the top down. Right. <laughs> You've always got to build it bottom up. So, I don't know if they built a layer, put the rocks on top and then recarved the layer they'd already built. Or if they laid it out flat on the ground and then scribed off each layer onto the layer below, carved it and then built it. I think it must have been probably a little bit of a combination of a few things, including actually carving the rocks when they're already in place. Yeah. But it seems like such a difficult and labor-intensive way to do it. <laughs> well, I'll be interested to touch base and like, <laughs> five years and find out <laughs> if that inspired anything in your work. <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, my last question is always, uh, can you tell me a great travel story? And you already have. <laughs> pre-recorded it. Yeah. I can insert it here. Uh, but if you have any more, 
Yeah. Go off, whatever you want to tell. There was two two stories sparked my mind. One before I told you the Fiji story, and one that was another Fiji story. So the other Fiji story. We've got to get to Fiji. <laughs> is uh, I was I was there on my own uh, for the first um, week and a half, two weeks. I was there, and then my brother had been working in New Zealand and was stopping off in Fiji on his way home. So we arranged to meet up. While I was on my own, there's a chain of islands called the Amaluthas, uh, just the north of the main island. And I, there's a boat that travels all the way up and all the way back each day. So I arranged to get on that boat, get off at one island, stay a day, then get the next day's boat up to the next island, stay a day. So I was maybe going to five or six of these islands staying a day each and on maybe the second or third island I uh, on the little speedboat that took you from the big ferry to the island uh, got chatting to uh, a girl from New Zealand uh, and probably by the time we'd reached the place where we were staying like 10 minutes later it felt like a known her for ages like, who, <laughs> chatting away no problem as if we'd been mates for years rather than minutes. I mean, I'm hanging out like that whole evening. Uh, and the next morning we went diving. And then it was time for me to get back on the boat and she was staying on that island. Uh, and it's like, well, it wouldn't be love at first sight because there we was nothing like necessarily romantic. But uh, it was the first time I met someone that had such an instant sort of connection, an instant friendship. Um, I'd lost my sunglasses on the previous island and she uh, she was like, oh, I've got, I've got some spare ones here, you can borrow these. And gave me her dad's Ray-Bans. <laughs> um, so I went off to the next island and you know, a little bit sad that we hadn't managed to uh, spend any more time together, but I thought you know, maybe one of these things that happens when you're travelling. And uh, and then, that night, the, the islands are quite isolated. You know, they have to, I think, drinking water has to be brought in by boat for the, uh, to support the hostels that are on there. And uh, they don't have any real communications, no telephones, just an emergency radio. And uh, the next night, the emergency radio started going on my island. And uh, it was the person who ran the hostel or hotel on the previous island and then I heard my name being said through the <laughs> emergency radio so I sort of wandered over and someone said are you, are you William? and I said yeah I'm William and then uh, this girl from New Zealand suddenly came on the line and said uh, I've managed to get like another like a few days off work so when you're coming back down let's meet up and spend a few more days together so, it was great, yeah, I had a couple of days. We met up and spent some more time together before eventually parting ways. Uh, and it was maybe just, yeah, the first time where someone's also put that much effort into hanging out with me. It would never have occurred to me to try and use the emergency radio to call through to another island. I just thought that was it. Uh, and we, we, I think we exchanged email addresses and 
we sort of uh, exchanged a couple of emails afterwards, but didn't really particularly keep in touch until about eight years later when I was going to New Zealand. Oh yeah. I should send her a message. Look up. So I didn't even know if she was living, I think at the time when I met her she was actually living in Australia, but uh, I sent a message saying, just about to arrive in New Zealand, are you still living here? If so, where do you live? And if you want, maybe we should meet up sometime. So she got back to me and quite excitedly said, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Like, yeah, I'm living in Hamilton and, you know, it was maybe a few, Orchid couple of months before. Orchid. Orchid. Oh, hang on a second. Ah. It's a hypodendron family. It's red color. Mm. Tiny orchids here. No, over there. Come, come here. Wow. So you wrote to her and you so, so yeah. meet up? Uh, so she, yeah, she replied so enthusiastically and then a couple of months later uh, me and my girlfriend at the time went and spent the weekend with her and her husband and uh, had, had a really nice time. I think we both changed quite a lot and I couldn't... Uh, you don't see the flowers. The flower of these orchids is uh, the tiny orchids, yellow color. Yeah, but uh, you, especially we can see in, on December, no? December, January, the orchids flower. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, this one as well, the leaves, no flowers. Oh, no. Is that no, no, no. This is uh, this is the monina. This is a plant named monina wild plants. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, adding nice color to your story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interrupted by orchids. Yes. Um, Tiny orchids. Oh wow. Yeah, look at this. Tiny. Tiny orchids. It's a flower, yeah. What is that? It's like orchids, a, orchids. Just opening. Orchids. Yeah, it's opening. It's opening. Just think of orchids as being like. Big one, that? Like this yeah, side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Big one, we're going to see the big pink color in Machu Picchu. Okay. Inside. Okay. So Bradley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Other space. Different type. Other ones. Similar but different flowers. Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, what was oh, so we <laughs> went and met up, and uh, I think we both probably changed quite a lot. We were, it wasn't the same sort of really connection when we'd first met, but uh, it was yeah, it was still a great weekend. And then as a sort of, uh, I think after maybe after it was the first day we'd hung uh, out, I uh, went to my bag and got out the sunglasses that she'd lent me a year earlier <laughs> and said, thanks for letting me borrow these. And uh, she could, I couldn't believe it. Uh, <laughs> obviously never expected to get them back. I never expected to be, have the opportunity to give them back. Uh, <laughs> but it was nice to make a genuine borrow rather than a, uh, a give. And uh, her husband was Tongan and he was like, oh, you'd saying you do so well in Tonga because in Tonga like, keeping a promise is really important but timekeeping isn't <laughs> so if you make a promise you say you're going to do something people will always try and keep that promise 
But it doesn't mean I'll do it that week or, <laughs> or that month or that year. But the fact that you remembered for eight years and then returned those sunglasses, that, that's what counts. <laughs> that's a beautiful story. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, uh, thank you for speaking out of breath, by the way. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Will, for telling that story. And I still could never thank you enough for making Star Wars, literally making Star Wars. Glad we shared that trip. There have been a few other episodes I recorded at Machu Picchu, Larry in 74 and Travis in 75, and a few yet to come. Thank you to Carlos Molina Rojas for playing the pipe music in the intro. We met in a migrant shelter on the border of Argentina and Chile, and I'll publish his story soon. You can find his music at Grupo Soncoy on YouTube. Thank you, as always, to Dana Boulay for the outro music, and thank you for listening. On est seul aussi chez les hommes. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Uh, so, I was in Fiji. Uh, on the main island, I was trying to get up to uh, this uh, village in the mountains that is sort of meant to be the most traditional kind of village in Fiji that still people tend to live in the same kind of way they always have. All the houses are traditional houses. Like, couldn't work out. Are they on stilts? They're not on stilts, no. So it's, it's, you know, it's far from the water line and everything. So they're, oh, right. um, they're sort of timber with woven... Uh, leaves that make up wall panels. Wow. So they build a frame and then have these woven panels that they attach. Uh, and then again, a roof that's made up of leaves. Um, we just couldn't work out. We got, went to the bus station, it was chaos. Couldn't work out to get there. And this guy came up and asked where we were trying to get to. And uh, he seemed a bit unfriendly, but we were kind of desperate, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, my brother, he's got, I've got a van, we can take you up there. So, he takes us up there, uh, and, we arra- and we arranged for him to pick us up the next day, I think, or maybe two days' time. Um, it doesn't really say much. And Fiji's full of incredibly friendly people. Like, everyone is just smiling and talking, and just, just one of the most friendly places I've ever been. Um, so we have a great time in the village. It is as we imagined. Uh, I meet, we meet an old guy who's the best stone skimmer I've ever met. He could, it's like something the size of your fist. He can skim it the entire way across the river. Um, on a river? Oh yeah, on a river, yeah. And uh, wow. we, were, we were just picking stuff for him because we were like, well, there's no way he can do this. And he'd just, just skim it. <laughs> These huge rocks. Um, Anyway, sorry, so we get picked up to go back. And we're in the back of this truck. And uh, the guy just seems like he's a bit, I don't know, just something not quite right. Uh, and then we're maybe about halfway back, kind of in the middle of nowhere, because most of the main settlements are on the coast, when the fan stops. 
and uh, well, I don't know why, why are we stopping? And he says, everyone get out, everyone get out of the van. And uh, so it was, it was me and my brother and, and then uh, a couple of other people that we'd all shared the lift with. Uh, I'm like, okay. And uh, so we get out and we get, begin to grab our bags and no, leave your bags. Oh, like, go over there, and he's pointing like off the road. Okay, we'll just just do what he says just now. We'll just see what's going on, and uh, we get about 10, 15 meters off the road, and he stops us. And he goes, "Just look at this view," <laughs> and he's taking us to the, the highest point of the island so that we can see over like everything, and it's just. He just was the first Fijian that we'd met who didn't smile that much, but who otherwise was just as friendly as everyone else. Oh. <laughs> so I just got back in the van and he drove us back to the Indian city. Ah, oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs>